1: Hello, everybody. This is Igor Cavallera, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious podcast. Stay metal.
0: You're over in uh, England right now?
1: Yeah, in London. Yep.
0: Is that where you're pretty much based now?
1: Yeah, I've been here for about uh, eight years.
0: You like it a lot better?
1: Yeah, it's cool. I like it here.
0: Chris should be here in a minute, and then we'll just jump right in. You doing all right otherwise?
1: All good, all good, man. Getting ready for uh, some touring coming up.
0: What's it like trying to get ready for uh, a tour after all these years, especially after having such a break?
1: I mean, it's, it's fun, especially, you know, like trying to get some of the sounds and, and the songs that, that we wrote. You know, it's cool. It's fun. You know, trying to remember some of this stuff as well.
0: Right. It's been a while. Hey, there's my partner, Chris. Igor.
2: Hello. Sorry for the uh, delay. All yeah. good. I had to drop my wife off at work, you know, the life of a rock star. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about what it's like to finally uh, get back on the road after all this time and playing those older tunes.
2: Oh, my God i just heard you say it it must have been a trip having to go back and relearn songs like how old were you when you wrote those songs
1: i mean that's that's the thing you know uh, like 19 on the beneath the remains and then my in my 20s when we did our rise so yeah it's a long time ago
2: so when you go back are you are you not just learning the songs but are you reinterpreting them as well in different ways or are you just trying to stay as true to possible as how they were originally done
0: yeah that's
1: the thing you know is i think if you try to stay as true as possible to it naturally they they are going to be different than when you play them 20 something years ago so i guess the best approach it is to try to stay true because otherwise it can become something completely different because they're going to be different already. Just the techniques that you use nowadays that you didn't. And, and as a musician, how you evolve, they just going to be different. So, yeah. So I think that's the, the in my opinion, the, the, the best way to do it. So this way there's a balance in between staying true, but also evolving in, in general. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, like, even the gear you're using, I I assume, is quite a bit better than what it was
1: back then. Yeah, I mean, for for beneath the remains and arise, I was already using a little bit of a better gear, you know. Than if we talk about anything behind those years and before those records, then we're talking about like very very primitive
0: stuff. Right.
1: And then it it becomes a very different situation where there's a lot of improvisation and and many other things. But by the time we hit Benita Remains, we were already playing with with some gear that it was somehow a little more uh, similar to what I play today.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. What was the impetus or the catalyst to do these two records live like that?
1: I mean, it's just something that me and Mac, we get together and we we have fun with it, you know, and then, of course, our ideas they also need to sort to run together with our management and and then from that point on, that becomes a thing you becomes a tour, becomes the something that we we can go out and play those those songs, you know. But at first it's just pretty much me and Max being kids and and wanted to, I don't know, revisit some of the stuff that we really enjoy, you know?
0: And I imagine that- So
2: I I actually want to share an experience because I'm kind of an, I'm, I'm an older, like I came into metal as an old guy. Like I didn't discover metal until like 2011, really. I mean, I'd heard roots and I'd heard stuff like that, but I hadn't really got into it. It wasn't really my thing. And then I went on this music festival called Seventy Thousand Tons of Metal in twenty eleven, and suddenly I realized there was this whole world that I that I never had seen before. And I saw uh, the Return to Roots set on Seventy Thousand Tons of Metal. What year was that? Twenty nineteen? Yeah, yeah. I think it was twenty nineteen. Yeah. And I got to tell you, dude, it was a fucking religious experience for me. I had never experienced metal that way like i'd saw a lot of really good metal shows you know gojira priest you name it like i've seen a lot of great metal shows but that in particular set right there was like for me never having really heard that record before it it made, i had like my i have goosebumps you probably can't see them but like my arms are on my arms are standing up just talking about how special that set was and how killer the drums were like i didn't i didn't ever think that drumming like that existed until like you know i discovered metal in 2011 or whatever (laughs) and then i hear it and it was just like this animalistic primitive i don't even know like i mean those in the most positive ways it was just as you can see i can't even put it into words So what's it like when you bring those out and what was it like playing that set on 70,000 tons?
1: Of- well, that's the thing that festival, you can call it a festival, but it, it cause it, it is in a done in a, in a completely different way in a, in a cruise. Yeah. That it's something that I never been in my whole life. I never been to a cruise, you know, like that's something that I don't know. It doesn't really attract me to go on a cruise. But the idea of having a lot of bands playing in this, in this cruise going, you know, like for three days, it sounded really cool. So for me, it was an experience already just to go there and experience being on a cruise with a bunch of other bands that we enjoy, but also like fans and things like that. And then to play, you know, roots there, it was something that was very special because, like you said, you know, there is people that saw roots back in the days that were there. And, and of course, there was a lot of people that never got the chance to see uh, that live set that we did back in the days. So, yeah, it was very special, but also a little bizarre in a way that, you know, like, especially playing on the on the upper deck of, of the cruise. It's, it's really cool. It's something that, you know, like for me, anytime I get to play outside of a venue, you know, in, especially in festivals and things like that, I find it super special because you, you are a bit more connected to, you know, nature in, 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 in a right. different way. And to think that we're in the middle of the ocean playing that set, it's even crazier, you know.
2: Yeah. Oh, it was like I was I literally had tears in my eyes and I wasn't the only one I was looking around and everyone was just like, what is happening right now? This is insane. You know, I can't believe I'm. No, you weren't there because you're a loser, but um, (laughs) it was (laughs) I, I just had to bring that up because when Bruce said, oh, we were doing this interview, I was like, oh, my God, I have to talk to him about this set because and I know that we're supposed to be talking about the other the other stuff that you're doing doing but to me it was just as a fan and as someone new to the band i just didn't have any inkling about what to expect and i kind of think that's going to happen on this new tour for
1: you it's it's funny You you say that because a lot of things that me and max do since the beginning of the band we look at it as a fan before anything else And that's an approach that we always had with our thing was like, of course there is a a business side to things, you know, as the band gets more professional, but we always trust that big, you know, gut feeling that we had as fans when we go do something, you know, like even like the whole idea of, of playing old records again, it's something that it comes from a fan mentality more than a professional thing, because at first, when me, Max, we're t- we start talking about this, my initial reaction always being like a bit selfish. And it's like, oh, man, whoever saw that back in the days, they already saw it and, and that's it. It's over. But then me thinking as a fan, it's like, no, that's that's not the right way to look at it because... There is bands that I would love to see today that I didn't have a chance to see when they released their records, when they were doing those tours. So I think it's a balance between those two. And then we get to where we are, you know, like doing The Roots and now doing Beneath and Arise. It's something that at the end of the day, we have a lot of fun playing those songs. You know, that's 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 the, the, the final point. It's like I love hitting the stage and having to play... You know a lot of those beats a lot of the stuff that i create when i was like a lot younger and having to revisit this it's a bit of a i don't know like it, it has this this side of me that it brings me back to that time you know which is very special i I've always been very proud of everything that we we did right does it almost make you feel young again
2: not that you're old but like does it make you feel young again when you play those songs like do you kind of forget where you are and you're back in that place that you were so many years ago? It, it
1: does have a bit of that feeling because when you are connected playing those, those, uh, those songs, you lose a bit track of, of time and space. And and that's something that I hear some musicians, you know, talking about that, but it's very true. Like if you're that to the music you're not really thinking where you are, but you, you kind of like time travel in a way to, to those days. And even, even before, it have that feeling that when, when we started as musicians, you know, playing in a garage, it brings that whole energy back, you know. Do you ever find yourself when you're, when you're playing
2: the, the older stuff like that, like you're playing and suddenly your mind like you know how an artist has the ability to block out their sight and just look inside their mind uh maybe that's the wrong way to put it but um do you ever find yourself playing and suddenly you're at like a festival somewhere else in the world and and then suddenly you're like oh my god i'm back in i'm back in the club now oh shit i gotta get back on track
1: well there is a a, i wouldn't say that literal like of going into a place you know, like a, a festival back in the days or, or a concert. But there is a, a spot that you hit when when you are that connected again with the energy, with this flow of things where you do lose a bit of a, an idea of what's going on at that moment, right? You lose yourself. That's so cool. and, and that's that's something that I find quite special. And I think it's something that, not only with music, but I think with arts in general, we can do those things, you know, where we can connect that much, you know, it can be by reading something that you lose time, you know, like track of timing and things like that, watching a movie, listening to something, and playing the the instrument also does that effect, you know. Amazing. Sorry, Bruce, I'm stepping along. No, there.
0: no, that's fine. What I was going to ask is, and we asked this quite a bit of bands that are, you know, a little bit older, your, your fans are going to be, or your audience is going to be multi-generational at this point, right? You're going to have people like my age bring in their kids to, to see these original shows. What's that going to be like?
1: But it's it's something that we don't really think about it as far as like how you measure who's coming to the show. Because I believe it's it's a very free kind of idea of, of who comes to see what we do. And sometimes it can be, As we know, metal, it's something that sometimes it it can be more fashionable. And there's times that everyone hates metal. And there's times where a lot of people are more into it. And we just travel through that. So we don't really know if our audience, it's going to be mostly of older people or if it's going to be a a younger wave of, of a generation coming in. So although those things are very difficult to dictate, but at the same time, I find quite special that there is all this young people paying attention to something that we did many years ago and still relevant. And that's that's just very special, you know.
0: And that's something that you could have never imagined. Right. I mean, being um, from, from Brazil, all of a sudden, you know, how many ever years later, these records are still relevant that people are bringing their kids and grandkids. That's you couldn't have imagined that ever. Right.
1: No, and that's something that if if you think about it when you are doing things, you're probably gonna mess that up. <laughs> but again, and then, then you're putting yourself in this this business focal focus. That's that's not the point. You know, like all those things should be something that is very natural, very organic. And then now we can look at this in a different way. But at the time when you're writing the stuff when you're doing the stuff you're not really thinking that far ahead you know you're thinking you're living the moment and you're hoping for things to happen to those you know records to those tours you know right
2: i think i think there's a, a a big misconception about metal that it's not art and talking to you i get the idea that you're heavily connected to the art of music or even just in general life and creation um how do you how do you kind of stay grounded while working through older material and newer
1: newer material how do you stay grounded and connected to the art that you're making again i I think i think it's about balancing those things you know of course i love researching with new things new ideas and but also i also give a lot of respect to the things that i did. And I always go back and, and pull some of those things to the new ideas. So it's a mixture of, of both. And I think that's the way that in, in my view that you can keep things tr- like fresh. It's not forgetting about the past and just moving forward. It is moving forward, but always going back and picking some, some things that can help you, you know, especially with such a strong base that you create, you know, w- with whatever you did through all these years you can't just throw that all of that away. So I think it's, it's a combination of both. And that's how I think a lot of musicians stay uh, uh, relevant is by doing this. It's by not only living off the fat, the past, but also doing a mixing of what it's now, how important it is to be now here. Right. Cause also like a lot of people can just sit down and be like, Oh, things were good back then. Nothing's good now. And And I think that's, just being lazy. <laughs> I think nowadays there is a lot of good stuff going on. There's a lot of amazing upcoming artists on, on all styles, you know, like doing a lot of really cool stuff. So I think most people who, who are too connected just to the past, I think they're just not searching enough, not researching and not seeing what's in their face, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, I have a question that's not related. the tour but it's kind of related to you guys um you guys were the first band to really bring indigenous people to the forefront and use instrumentation like this and it was groundbreaking like i mean it changed the world of metal overnight i mean it really did um but i was just watching rock and rio uh the one that just passed and with gojira's amazonia and how they brought out uh indigenous people out as well and how, are you guys connected in any way? Have they reached out to you for advice in any way, or how do how do you kind of look at what they're doing with that record,
1: You mean Gojira? Yeah. yeah, I mean we know the guys. We 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 are friends with them, but it's it's just I can just see a huge influence on on things that that we did, you know. And and I look at at that again as a a, a very groundbreaking thing, because at the time I don't even remember like this whole thing with, with like metal bands going back to their roots, you know, even like Norwegian bands doing like Viking stuff. That wasn't a thing back then. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Later that became like, Oh shit, we can look into our past and, and bring some of that stuff that it totally makes sense to the music that we do today. And that's something that we did. And I find myself sometimes very, very proud of that because yeah, I should. think that's that, yeah, that's one of the legacies I think of, of, of roots. You know, some people look at roots as a again, as a as, as our biggest selling record, which it's fine, but I like to look at roots in, in a more on the other way around where we were trying things that at the time they were very risky. Yeah. They were not not the typical thing that every metal band was doing we were pushing the limits of things that could go completely wrong <laughs> so it was right. a risk you know at the time it w- we didn't know how it would work out you know by doing you know doing the thing with the Chavantes tribe recording with them and bringing all those elements it could go completely wrong we didn't know at the time right. it was just we, f- we again we had this gut feeling that it was, it was the correct thing to do. And to see a band like Gojira doing this nowadays, it totally relates to, to what we did, the work that we did, you know, 30 years ago, you know? Yeah. I think they'd be the first to admit it, honestly. Yeah, and, and we're 100%, you know, very, very uh, proud of it, you know? Like, because I, just, I think not, not only Gojira, but I, I, I see this whole there's a lot of more of of, of the metal, you know, even there's a lot of uh, like people going back to, to ideas. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of like black metal bands nowadays that they do a lot of things with, with their roots, especially with the American Indian roots, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, and those things back then they were not common, you know, they were not. So I feel very proud of it, you know, that we, we kind of launched this idea and nowadays it became, it became a thing, you know?
2: Yeah. But every record that you've done was, is a build-up, right? Like you, I think your band has always been kind of a risk-taking type of band, really. Yeah. You know, artistically.
1: Yeah. And luckily at the time we had a label that backed up a lot of those ideas. And that's also another thing that is important to point that, as a band, sometimes you need to be strong enough with your ideas that you're not gonna give up them, just because somebody might say that it's, that might not be the the correct uh, business way of looking at it, you know. So we yeah. had to step our feet and be like, "Look, this is, this is how it's going to be." And then luckily, we didn't get the plug. <laughs> pull out of us, you know.
0: Thank God or where would we be? <laughs> so you guys
1: I th- yeah. yeah.
2: Please correct me. You were on Roadrunner, yeah. correct? So how how does a band from Brazil end up signing to Roadrunner? This is a question that I've always wanted to
1: know and now I can ask you. Wow, that's that's also the thing. Like the band started in 1984 in Brazil. So we were doing a lot of underground work for many years before we got on Roadrunners like Raider. So it wasn't like we just started and then we got picked up by a big label at the time. It's something that we have been releasing records through like a very underground scene in Brazil. And then of course, at the time, like tape trading and a lot of fanzines start to, you know, create this buzz around the band. And then it took years and years until... Roadrunner shows some interest on releasing one of our records, which was Beneath the Remains. So so there is a, a trajectory to that, which a lot of people sometimes don't even know we have those albums before uh Beneath the Remains, you know, stuff like Morbid Visions, Schizophrenia, and, and Bastia Devastation. Those are like super underground, like Brazilian stuff that we put out. And, and that's how. We built our way all the all the way to the roadrunner thing
2: beautiful it really is amazing how tape trading and fanzines and all that stuff really catapulted metal to the forefront of the music scene back then globally because the fans wanted it yeah the fans wanted it regardless of what the industry was trying to push on people the fans were like no we want this give it to us
1: yeah and i i think it's today is not different you know there is this whole thing with with a lot of independent acts putting out their music through like Bandcamp or or other channels where they don't even have a label behind it and they're they're putting their stuff out there and and somehow it gets to to the target that they want which is like their crowd so I think it, it's always there's always a way of, of pushing your music to the right channels, you know. Yeah. Here's a here's a question that I that I would like to
2: ask. Um, when did Sepul? When did you realize that business was a major part of what you were doing? It was not even us.
1: It was the 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 minute we we had a management behind us, you know. And that was also very important to have that. Once you have a manager, they, then they can do all the fighting for you, you know, with the label, with booking agents, with festivals. And, and that's real. when you realize you need to form a team. Yeah, you need to have a, a strong team with you. And, and, yeah, and that's, that's, you know, and that's like any other band, that's so important to have those people behind you. Yeah. So it wasn't like you guys weren't like hardcore
2: business right off the start. It was kind of like you were making records and playing shows and then a management took interest. And then suddenly they laid out something in front of you and you're like, oh, my God, we have to do this like this. Yeah. Is that no. the way?
1: No, I think it, it was a lot more like we, we knew we always been very focused, like we're saying, you know, to the point of me and Max sending tapes all over the world, you know, like exchanging those things were, were already us connecting like to a network of fans. Yeah. And then of course, later things get a lot more serious when you have a big label involved. So, yeah, so there is, but there is a a side of it that I think it's really important also for, for bands who are starting, which you you gotta be focused, you know, you gotta put all your effort into it, you know, because otherwise it, it doesn't happen.
2: I started out kind of like just playing shows and then suddenly I realized, oh God, no, it's got to be all business all the time. Go. And it was just nonstop, 24 hours a day, trying to find some pathway. Right. You know? And you meet a lot of younger musicians, so I'm glad that you pointed this out. You meet a lot of young musicians that think that someone's just going to drop in and then that's when things get serious.
1: Yeah. I I, I think that there is... Uh... A combination of both you know I, like i said the focus is very important you have to work really hard a, a, as part of this otherwise again it, it doesn't happen but at the same time there is the other side of it which is the focus it cannot not only be the success right you know at the end of the day, we were not looking at, at numbers. We were not looking at, at We were looking at writing some amazing music that we love. So that was like the focus. You know, like even when we wrote later, like the albums, our idea wasn't like, oh, yeah, we're going to write this out because it's going to sell a lot. That wasn't the final focus of us. It was always like, man, we're going to write the best songs that we could write now that we love and if that becomes something that sells then it's amazing and, and I, it becomes a lot more easier for you to accept the other side as well if it goes completely a failure if you did something that you love it's a lot easier to accept that
0: i think fans I connect i think goal with that, achieved though. yeah but i think oh yeah goal achieved but i think fans connect with that right they connect with the organic yeah nature of things and know that it's not fabricated to sell a record or to sell out a tour. You're writing the music from your heart, from the jungles, from wherever, and people connected with it.
1: Yeah. And I think that's something that fans can smell that a mile away, right? They know when it's something's fake, the same way they know when it's real and and they they can relate to whatever, like musically, lyrically, even the visual identity, all those things, you know, they, they can, they can see if it's real, there's no gimmicks, you know?
0: Yep. Well, I appreciate it. We're running out of time here, I think. So uh, I appreciate your contribution to metal. Thank you, sir. Big, big fan. Glad to have you.
1: Yeah. Thank, thank you for the conversation. I think it was very interesting because that's something that it, it's always important to to talk to people that understand also the other side. So I think the questions were great. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.
2: Um, I just wanted, we don't have to keep this in. I just wanted to say thanks for that show on 70,000 Tons of Metal, dude. It was like, I came home and I just, as soon as I got off the plane, I jumped in the car. <laughs> Roots, go. <laughs> on right. ten. And it's all and it's, it's
1: it's in the playlist all the time. Ooh, yeah. because... No, it was a, it's such a, a special event, you know. I have to say I was buzzed because uh, I, I watched uh, Napalm Death, then on death and I watched like Dark Funeral, uh, this band that I really like. They were also playing the same spot, like in the in the top, like by the pool, yeah. Balcony kind of thing. It was so cool, you know. So, so yeah, hopefully we'll do that again yeah i i mean fingers crossed and oh we didn't
2: ask this but we need to ask this we already know but the people that are listening probably don't when does the tour start and where are you headed to
1: okay so this the tours that we start in uh i fly to the us on the 26th to to do some rehearsals with max and the, the rest of the band and then we start i believe in california and it goes all the way so there's a lot of dates i don't have them in front of me right now okay but it starts early october yes yes okay it's gonna be very uh we're very excited you know it's it's we're planning to add some things that we didn't do on the last tour so there is going to be some extra stuff added to the to the menu oh
2: god i hope you guys come to the dc area Please come to the DC area. I gotta look at the dates. Yeah, am yeah. going
0: <laughs> so Maryland date, Chris.
2: It's then the are you where are you playing the Fillmore Silver Spring? I, I oh, okay.
1: so. I I gotta look. Yeah, okay. I'll look in the dates, but yeah, hopefully it will be it will be
0: there. So awesome,
1: he, dude! Thank you so much. All
0: oh, right, God. I appreciate. Thanks, your dude. time. Thank you for your contribution to metal, and hopefully we'll catch you soon.
1: All right, see you guys later. See Stay you. Well. Bye bye.
0: Cheers.